passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting live and on demand from Buffalo, New York, where today is Sunday, June 12th, 2022. It's some 24 years since Kenzo Kobashi defeated Toshiaki Kawada in the Nippon Budokan on June 12th, 1998. Just, just over a month after Kawada finally beat Misawa on May 1st, 1998 in the Tokyo Dome, uh, ending another one of his short-lived Triple Crown title reigns. Um, Joining me, though, from my immediate south, the uh, regional South Buffalo champion of Lake Erie. I am the all-Northwestern champion of of Buffalo and WrestleNomics. All of us have a belt here. Chris Gull joins us. Hello. Hello. It's a... uh wonderful sunday uh, morning here in buffalo new york but i think it's gonna rain unfortunately yes. i was thinking about taking the dog on a walk near the uh lake erie here but i don't know if that's gonna happen today the wa- you gonna go to the waterfront yeah i live very close to the waterfront like super close so yes so but yeah um we uh ha- should have a fun show today a fun topic that's been talked about before will be our kind of main topic uh and that will will wwe sell Maybe that's really the answer. Um, and we're going to kind of break that. Uh, we'll go over some other news and notes uh, from the week as well. Uh, but we are going to start off with that question. Yes. Um, I had a an article. Um, did you happen to read the article? Yes, I, I did read the article. Yes. Okay. Excellent. I'm doing my work, Brandon. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, people can send in well, questions. Yeah, by the super chat. I always forget about that. Some questions. Um, how can people do that? Well, uh, right there, as you're watching on YouTube, you see there's a little dollar sign button. You uh, uh, press that and then uh, submit your amount with your question, which would be in a normal uh, thing when you put the say something. And uh, it will come up and we'll show it on the screen here as we got the high technology uh, here now at WrestleNomics. And uh, we'll answer your question. If it's related to what we're talking about that time, we'll answer in that period. If it's not, we'll get to it to the end. Yes. So... Um, these are photos from Vince McMahon's Twitter, in fact. I, I uh, realized that the other night. Uh, pictures of Vince, Shane, and Stephanie. Uh, this looks like WrestleMania. Was this the COVID WrestleMania, maybe? I don't know. Um, but Re- WrestleMania of recent years and then, obviously, uh, uh, of probably the early 90s in the lower left for people watching on YouTube. Um, <clears throat> but we had... Uh, we have, we have some some headlines for you to read here. Whenever you see Golo, I forgot to tell you in our 
in our pre uh, pre show briefing. The blue outline for you will will indicate that there are some some things in the notes for you to read. Uh, but WWE had a press release that came out earlier this past week, announcing a new executive joining the team. Yep, uh, this was uh, June six uh, out of Stanford. There, WWE today announced that Catherine Newman has been named executive vice president and head of marketing. Newman brings more than two decades of executive experience to WWE, including her most recent role as chief marketing officer of the Manchester United Media. Uh, she has also been held senior positions at the Times of London and Financial Times, leading global marketing initiatives, developing strategic partnerships, and boosting subscription growth across various products. As part of WWE's senior leadership team, Newman's oversight will include marketing, brand, community relations, entertainment relations, creative services, and photography. She is a graduate of Lower Borough University, a chartered institute of marketing postgraduate from Buckingham, I'm sorry, Buckinghamshire New University, and a fellow and mentor in the Marketing Academy United Kingdom. Um, very interesting, as you know, with Stephanie uh, taking a leave of absence, and then this hire is made. And my, I think the thing I really took from that is the word brand being involved with one of her responsibilities as. Stephanie was, or I guess still is, the chief branding officer. Um, She's still on the board of directors. Um, She's taking over many of of Stephanie's duties, at least while Stephanie is out. I've been reassured Stephanie will be back. Um, I don't know if she'll be back in the same role or not. We could speculate endlessly about that. Um, But it's Catherine Newman uh, from Manchester United. Do you, you have any context you can provide us with Chris Gull about Wait, Manchester United? Is that the the most f- well known, famous football club? Yeah, that is. They are the uh, world's most famous uh, football club, English Premier League. They're you would to reference them. They're almost like the New York Yankees of soccer. People are fans of them all across not just the United Kingdom but all across the world. Do you, do you watch Premier League? Um, once in a while, I don't keep up on it uh, as much. It's, but it's I mean, on like it, in yeah. the morning to us yeah. on, on like USA Network. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I uh, USA Network Peacock has games uh, too, I believe, and all that. Um, I've watched like see, I, I'm a Sierra A guy. Uh, I still follow AC Milan once in a while, so I watch all that. But very familiar with DPL, and then of course the Champions League, which AC Milan and Man United have been in together before. So. So, and this is the relegation. So, do teams go from Serie A to to the to the Premier League, and and vice versa? No. So, Serie A is the top league in Italy. Okay. Yes. So, okay. yeah, it's the top league in Italy, just like La Liga and um, the German league escapes me the name, but like they're the top leagues in that country. And then the, the Champions League takes not only champ like the champions of those leagues, but top tier teams, and they all play in a. Pretty much like a best of European Europe tournament, almost. Well, anyway, obviously she comes from a sports background and uh, from a, a very well-known uh, sports organization, so you can see why uh, that it might be a match for her to come to WWE. Um, where do you stand lately on the notion, Chris Cole, that WWE is going to sell? They're going to sell to to Disney, to to Comcast. As I told you when we first talked about this on the show, since I've joined that I think it's a strong possibility. I understand what the points that you made about Vince McMahon. And we heard in various podcasts, like Nick Khan on Colin Coward, that 
Vince is just, he's work, work, work. He doesn't take vacation. This is his life. Is WWE really his true want love uh, of his life? Um, but I think it gets to a point where you have, your the decisions you're making are not just for, hey, I want to make my business great. It's, I want to make my business as lucrative and as marketable as possible. I mean, we've seen the market cap go up. Um, we've seen budget cuts, uh, you know, cutting maybe some uh, expenses that Nick Khan and others thought wasn't necessary. Uh, we've seen TV rights deals, historic TV rights deals, and more on the way, <clears throat> higher than what they're getting now, most likely. So I think, in in my opinion, that this is a company that's trying to be as valuable as possible. So if they do want to pull the trigger on a sale, they can. And they will get a great, you know, uh, great value for it, but great compensation back. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I think any any time you're a publicly traded company, it's incumbent upon you have a fiduciary duty to uh, drive value to, for your shareholders, um, which could explain why there were, which could, would be sufficient to explain why there were uh, budget cuts and and layoffs to make the, the company more efficient, especially when, when you had new management coming in uh, with Nick Khan as of the summer of 2020. Um, I think, so my argument, when we had this discussion, I don't know how many months ago, maybe it was almost a year ago now, when uh, for some reason it, there, there had been a lot of discussion online and in other places about whether or not W was going to sell, and I dismissed this idea, I dismissed this idea many times, and I've run, written at least one article explaining why you know, this is a dumb idea that people believe that WWE is going to sell. Uh, the prevailing notion has been that WWE is is a family business. This is a company that, uh, if you if you look if you Google it, it, this company was founded in 1980 or something like that. But really, we all know that that through various incarnations, this draws back to Vince uh, Vince J McMahon. Don't call him Vince Senior. Don't call him Vince Junior. God damn it, Vince J McMahon. Vince's dad, and then before him, Jess McMahon. Um, the notion has long been, and I believe that that it's going to be passed on to Stephanie and or Shane and or Paul Levesque uh, generation. And then uh, remember that remember that uh, WrestleMania intro where like Shane's son has just been born, and like Vince is like creepily looking up at the screen. Everyone everyone finally remembers that, right? Was that like WrestleMania twenty one or something like that? Um, anyway. Uh, so yeah, that's, that, that's been the, the prevailing notion that this is going to be a family business. It's going to be handed down to the next generation. Um, and that's mainly been the condition for me. That's been holding me to the belief that WWE's not going to sell. Um, when you suggest that WWE's going to sell, you, you, you get some, uh, responses, to to that suggestion that say well Vince is what's Vince going to do Vince is not just because Vince sells the company doesn't necessarily mean that he leaves the business doesn't necessarily mean that he stops being the CEO um Dana White used to own a piece of UFC I believe doesn't own yeah. significantly any of it but who's in charge of UFC Dana White right an agreement could be made that sells controlling interest currently held by Vince McMahon to some other entity while still guaranteeing Vince McMahon autonomy and can control and you know, direction of his company. Um, 
yes. a couple points could be made to that. First off, um, the point you're making that Vince could stay in power, that would make a lot of sense. Let's just say NBC, Universal, Comcast purchases WWE. They just wouldn't want to just put one of their executives that knows nothing about sports entertainment in there. Um, they'd want somebody with experience. We I think we've speculated before, too, if they were to sell, maybe Bruce Pritchard would be in that executive role or, or CEO or whatever like that. But I I think that it'd be maybe any corporate purchase like Disney or Comcast would probably learn from WCW's mistakes and maybe take a, a hands-off approach as far as putting in television people and media and media. I, I doubt that they're, I doubt that they're even, I know I mentioned that at the end of the article, but like, I doubt that they're like studying what happened with WCW or really taking that seriously. Like, I think they, for one thing, it's, it's 20 years ago, more than that, I guess. Um, and then the, the, the revenues are different and the, the economy is different and it's a different organization. Um, I, I don't, it, there's this, I don't know, almost arrogance about like, I, th- I think even looking into the wrestling business and studying the wrestling business and we're not a wrestling business, we're a media business. And I think that's sort of pervasive throughout, not just WWE, but probably through their business partners too. And there's this sort of grander view that they look at, and maybe rightly so grander view that they look at, at the, at WWE's business with, and, and not necessarily looking at it through the lens of an observer reader who who's studied all these these wrestling stories, um, and there may be some some justification in that, uh, especially like I said, considering you know WCW was not living in a world where live live rights were are what they are, um, and the licensing opportunities are what they are today. Um, but let me be clear: I don't believe that WB is ever going to exist in Vince McMahon's lifetime without him being the CEO. I think if W sells, which I think is a possibility, I don't know if it's a likelihood, but, I, but I'm, I'm more open to it because of what we're going to go through here about the various family members not seeming to, to be in a position to take over in, in, in succession. Um, I, I don't think Vince is ever going to agree to anything but uh, a Dana White-like, I get control of this agreement, even though you, you get controlling interest. Uh, because I don't think he's going to do anything else with his life. Uh, this is this is what he does. He runs his company, and and you know he directs the people around him to to support him in running the company. That's his life, and I don't think he's ever going to do anything else. Maybe if, if the XFL had worked out and there wasn't a pandemic, when there was a pandemic, maybe he would he would have some diversion. But that didn't work out, obviously. And I'm still getting notifications about his his the, the latest action in his lawsuit with Oliver Luck. So uh, so that didn't work out. Um, so anyway, here's Catherine Newman taking over a lot of Stephanie's yeah. duties. Um, and then we can look back to, was Shane going to take over the company? Shane's going to take over the company, right? Yep. Uh, that, oh, that, oh, oh we're, we're, we're 13 years behind on that story. Okay, yeah. what happened? Uh, in 2009, yeah, Shane left the company as far as any executive role or office role he had. Yeah. Um, and if we... Uh, why don't you read us the, the quotes that Shane told Mick Foley uh, in this 2016 interview? This was after, you know, Shane had not been any any part. He's been a performer in more recent years. But he came back in 2016 to be a performer and, of course, to famously have that match with The Undertaker. And at that time, he did this interview with Mick Foley where he said, where Mick, Mick asked him about why he left WWE in the first place. So Shane's response was, I think with any partner, I'm sorry, any parent or child relationship, it's tough, especially with the older guard allowing the new guard to flesh 
push those ideas out and try them because they're so guarded against it. Fully responded, was he not open enough to your ideas? Shane said, no, it stopped being a collaboration and it stopped being fun. And when that happened, you know, the WWE defines my father and I wasn't going to allow a deterring professional relationship affect our personal lives. And that's exactly what was happening. So I decided I'm not going to do this. I love him too much and decided to leave. Right. So, uh, I, I, I'm not prepared to get into the minutia of perhaps what, what the particular agreement disagreements were. You know, we've heard through the years that maybe Shane wanted to do some MMA-associated uh, ideas, wanted to acquire maybe UFC or Pride or something like that. Um, we've seen flashes of that, I would say, in, in Shane's return to some sort of creative role, whether it was Raw Underground. Um, but uh, Shane came back for a, a while and... Uh, did, among other things, jump off the top of a Hell in a Cell to prove his love and loyalty to his father. Um, and then uh, this past Royal Rumble, uh, you know, it's reported that uh, there's some sort of conflict with him participating in some sort of producer role, uh, and he's on the outs with WWE now, at least but there's some sort of disagreement with Vince. Maybe Vince sent him home. Um, so not only has, has Shane fallen as an executive some 13 years ago, uh, in whatever may, role he may have been regrowing in the company, that seems to have been reset also this year. Um, and then we had last year, Paul Levesque, of course, had his cardiac issue. He, you know, the business insider referred to it as a heart attack. I don't know if, if he's called it a heart attack. I'm not a doctor to tell you what, what's the difference between a heart attack and a cardiac event. But, but Paul Levesque clearly had some... A serious heart condition uh, in September 2021, uh, and that took him out of, of of any role in the company for a number of months. He's back working now on a lighter schedule, um, and I think not not just that uh, he's got some health issues. But uh, you know the the NXT and AEW Dynamite Wednesday Night War didn't work out in his favor. AEW Dynamite won the ratings competition. NXT uh, did not turn into a valuable media rights company. We did a long show about. The, the fall of, of Triple H um, this, oh, I don't know, around the turn of the year, which I think was one of our better shows. NXT moves to Tuesday. The new colorful NXT logo, I was told by someone that, you know, there, there was no warning. They, they got sent that logo one day, and, you know, Triple H, no, no one knew that that was coming. Uh, <laughs> so NXT was totally rehauled. NXT 2.0 uh, lives in some form on, uh, on Tuesday nights now. Um, and who, who, who takes, uh, if Polovec absorbs less political power in Vince's world, which is what it is, who, who occupies that vacuum? And I, and I might argue, I might speculate, I should say, that, you know, if uh, Shane was falling from favor and maybe there was a vacuum left there for Shane. Of course, Stephanie was working in a corporate role from very early on, right? She, she was working in creative uh, she had an executive vice president role by 2013. She's chief brand officer. Uh, in the early 2000s, Triple H is winding down his schedule as a full-time wrestler and becoming more of a, of a corporate executive. Around the time that, that Shane has just left, again, in the very end of 2009, uh, Triple H, I believe, he begins to have a corporate role, an official corporate role in 2011. And then that grows to the point where he's an executive vice president as well in the early 2010s. So sort of, it, it coincides, if nothing else. The, the exit of Shane coincides with the beginning of Rise of Power of Stephanie and Paul. Um, now, in, at the very end of, uh, well, in, in 2021, if Bolivec is losing power, 
who is that an opportunity for? Well, we have the, this year. I mean, you did put that Cody picture. I don't know if Cody can rise to power that quickly, but we have uh, John, John Laurinaitis, Bruce Pritchard, Kevin Dunn. Yes. Do you uh, do you listen to the Bruce Pritchard? And, and who else do we have here? Um, that's that's Kevin Dunn, John Laurinaitis, Bruce Pritchard, Cody Rhodes. But Bruce Pritchard is back in WWE. Uh, and he's in a creative role. Um, he's the, there was a time even when Eric Bischoff was brought back momentarily along with Paul Heyman to be executive director of Raw and SmackDown, respectively. I think Heyman was obvious with, with, with Raw, we remember, and uh, Bischoff with SmackDown. Uh, Bischoff's run seems to have been pretty short-lived. I don't know that Heyman's was much longer. Um, and then... Bruce Pritchard was brought back to take over both of those roles, uh, along with Christine Lebrano, who has a similar role um, in WWE. So Bruce Pritchard is obviously somebody who was with WWE going back to what, the early 90s, maybe late 80s? Um, Oh, yeah. Pritchard started in 87, late 87. 87. Okay. Uh, Then he was out for the mid, somewhere around 92 or so, right? But but he comes back. For about a year, yep. Okay. So, but he was fired in 2008. By Stephanie McMahon. He confirms that because I've, I've Googled that and you can find the clip yes. of him tell, telling that story where he confirms that it was Stephanie that relieved him of his duties. Uh, so uh, so maybe Stephanie and, and, and Bruce, maybe not best friends, um, m- maybe uh, political rivals, um, maybe Kevin Dunn also in that camp, maybe John Laurinaitis. John Laurinaitis back to becoming... Uh, uh, an executive in talent relations as somebody who was an executive in talent relations for who was not in that role for I know he was still working some sort of office role but he was not in in as powerful a role uh, in the in the somewhere in the 2010s right Uh, he he was uh, more famously uh, you know giving people their future endeavors in the the early 2010s and mid 2000s um and i could see and this is not information on my part but i could see cody part of the reason why maybe cody thought it was a good idea to go to WWE um would be that you know well maybe there's there's some sort of leadership role that he can eventually occupy um for entertainment pur- purposes i have an image on the screen of, of cody wrecking the triple h throne uh at an AEW event a few years ago Entertainment purposes only. Um, so we know the Ke- Kevin Dunn. Uh, I know that there's um, been. I think Davis said it at some point, uh, and I, I tend to believe it that uh, the day this was a, you know several years ago when it appeared to be inevitable that Stephanie and Paul Levesque were going to eventually occupy a lot of the duties that that Vince currently holds, right? And the day that that would happen, they would you know get rid of Kevin Dunn, or they would you know. Uh, it's probably quite expensive to fire Kevin Dunn, but but maybe they would they would reduce his, his power. Um, last year, when WWE was doing a lot of uh, employee downsizing and uh, cutting a lot of employees, uh, the Advanced Media Group in WWE, which was uh, led by Executive Vice President J.R. Donlin, uh, his department was consolidated under Kevin Dunn's television department into one with Kevin Dunn winning out. He is now the leader of that department and J.R. Donlin is no longer with 
WWE. Uh, despite the fact that you know Jared Allen appeared to be a promising executive, and including he was recognized by Sports Business Journal for being one of the the top forty exec- sports executives under forty, nonetheless Kevin Dunn wins as he always does. The uh, you know you can say a lot about Roman Reigns um, and how long he's held those titles, uh, the greatest W champion of all time. Um, I, I might argue though, and I don't know if you would agree with this, Golo, but I might argue that um, Kevin Dunn is is the longest reigning champion in W history. With all, all due, due respect to, to Bruno, um, well, we we just talked about Bruce Pritchard, right? Well, Pritchard had t- times in the company he wasn't with the company. Kevin Dunn was never not with that company since what eighty six. No, he's, his, dad, his his dad saved those tapes from from the burning car, and yeah. he's been he's been set for life. Yeah, but he's never had a stint where he went away for a while or took t- like he has literally been there for years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, let's see here where, where we want to go from here. Um, so NBC Universal. So I guess what, what, we're, what we're getting at here is all of Vince's old comfort blankets are back in power. He has surrounded himself with a lot of the people who you know who seems to be pushed out of the way, perhaps by by Stephanie and Paul. Um, Stephanie and Paul seem to have reduced their influence in the last year or so. Uh, and it, as we've not mentioned here, but I, I think everybody listening probably knows, Ste- Stephanie announced on May 19th that she's taking a, a leave of absence from WWE. She'll be back, uh, she says. But uh, so with if WWE is no longer going to be handed down to another generation of McMahons, I think I think it is possible that WWE would be sold to a major media company. The one that makes the most sense by far is Comcast, which is the parent company of NBC Universal. NBC Universal is deeply invested in W content. Uh, they have Raw, they have W content on Peacock, they have NXT on Tuesday nights on the USA Network, and then they have Miz and Misses, which is back uh, as of this past week on the USA Network for a third season. So, and NBC Universal definitely more so than Fox, and more so than any any business partner. Even the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia is NBC Universal is deeply invested in WWE content. Um, if we look at the history of uh, WWE TV rights fees through the years, what, what we have on the screen here are are the three most recent terms of U.S. T- live TV rights fees for Raw and SmackDown, and we can go back to the the term. These are what this is a five year term. I guess these are all four or five year terms. So from 2009 to 2014. You could have gotten Raw and SmackDown, and NBC Universal did. Got both Raw and SmackDown for seventy-seven million dollars per year, average annual value, seventy-seven million dollars. Uh, the following term, just after the network launched, and by Vince's own admission, the launch of the network negatively impacted negotiations for these TV rights. One point seven x increase from seventy-seven million dollars, seventy-seven million dollars up to one hundred thirty-one, about. $131 million average annual value. So not quite doubling. This is the, fam- the famous moment where he's promised um, Brad Safflow from PA Research, the analyst on the earnings call, you can put me in a hammerlock if we don't at least double or tri- I don't know, say triple or they didn't, they didn't double or triple their TV rights fees. So Vince McMahon still owes Brad Staffalo a, a hammerlock. As of Brad's comment uh, on one of my LinkedIn posts, he has not yet collected on that hammerlock. <laughs> so that's unfortunate to hear. Um, and then, 2019, really this negotiation was done in 2018, Nick Khan from CAA comes to the table 
and uh, helps WWE split off. So not just selling Raw and SmackDown to NBC Universal as they have in the past, but selling SmackDown to the open market. Fox ends up ends up getting it. They resell Raw to NBC Universal. They end up with four hundred and seventy million dollars in average annual rights fees from one hundred and thirty-one. They went from one hundred and thirty-one to a four hundred and seventy. That's a three point six x more than tripling their TV rights fees. Um, I believe that uh, base case, and I think this is basically what's baked into the stock price, a 1.5x. So they're probably not going to double. If, if they do, the stock price will, will grow strongly. But 1.5x is, is what I would expect. Um, and that would put Raw and SmackDown up to more than $700. Remember, just, oh, you know, some, some 13 years ago, this was... A $77 million value. Now, getting up to perhaps the next round, over $700 million. That would, that would you know, be roughly, you know, almost 10xing the value over the course of roughly 15 years, right? And that's not even including the Peacock content for the premium live events and the library. Um, if all of that grows by 1.5x, we're up to $5 billion in content, between Raw, SmackDown, and the Peacock content, the network content. Um, w Stock had a rough week, as, as the market has had a rough week. Uh, market cap of W is about $4.75 billion, uh, down a little bit from the $5 billion it, it was uh, hovering at for a while. Nonetheless, uh, getting to the point where uh, the five-year value of, of the Raw and SmackDown content and of the network content is getting close to the market capital or more than the market capital of this company. Big questions that could increase the value of that content even further is whether or not there are more or fewer bidders for that content. Is Amazon really interested in that content? Um, maybe. Is uh, NBC Universal interested? Yes. Is Fox interested? Probably. Uh, are there other linear traditional players? I don't know. Um, Viacom, but maybe maybe they can't make an aggressive bid. Um, Apple, I'm skeptical. But Amazon, maybe. Especially for any of that Peacock content. Um, wouldn't it be nice, though, if you didn't have to... Uh, what's what's the best way to uh, to reduce your expenses over time is to, to pay a lot up front and to own your house rather than rent your house, especially mm -hmm. when your landlord's raising the price by, like, you know, every five years, imagine your landlord's jacking the price up by three times or one and a half times. You don't know. It's kind of unpredictable. Um, maybe you could even uh, use some of that WIP in Universal Studios. Um, Golo, there's some sort of noise on your, on your microphone that's happening a lot. Maybe your cord's on, on the stand. Something's touching the stand. Anyway, and if you're Comcast, you've got one of the core parts of your business is declining. MVPD subscribers, cable subscribers, are declining over time. Uh, at the beginning of 2019, you had 22 million cable subscribers. At the end of 2021, you've got 18 million subscribers. So you've lost 4 million subscribers over that time, and obviously people are cutting the cord. Uh, you've got Peacock that's supposed to take over some of that business. Uh, you're spending a lot on Peacock, and it's not clear that Peacock and streaming is ever going to be as profitable a business as cable is. So it, it would be pretty smart if you can negotiate a reasonable deal to buy a WWE outright, use the IP, use those broadcast rights, 
And uh, Nikon seems to recognize that, as he told Matt Bellany on the Town Podcast uh, in March. What did he say? As we say, we're open for business, Con said in an interview on the Town Podcast in March. So if you look at what NBCU Comcast, uh, what does MCU, NBCU Comcast lack that they need? And in fact, it's a fact. Ah, sorry about that, folks. And I think it's a factual statement. They don't have the intellectual property that some other companies have. They certainly don't have the Disney treasure trove of IP, nor should they. Yes. He also um, sort of, uh, I would go so far as he takes a dig at Universal Studios when he asks Matt Bellany, have you been to Universal Studios lately? He makes it sound like there's not a lot there. Um, but can you imagine if there was like a W ride there? Uh, John Cena ride and things like that. Um, but who would have to make that decision about whether or not uh, Comcast is going to acquire WWE, not only Vince McMahon, not only WWE, but but obviously the executives at Comcast. Um, Comcast, just like WWE, has a leader who is the CEO, who's the chairman of the board, who's the preferred class controlling shareholder. That's this man. Do you know this man's name? Brian Roberts, right? Brian Roberts. Yes. Um, so he's uh, he owns a lot of Class B shares that that give him, you know, multiple times the voting power, power per share of, of anybody else. Um, and I I was told that uh, when I wasn't told, but um, according to the, the Light Shed podcast uh, a few weeks ago, um, Peacock when Peacock was considering putting WWE content on uh, Peacock, Brian Roberts was hesitant about it according to the belief of um the light shed people um but obviously eventually he, he agreed to it or you know it happened and uh w content seems to be working out well for peacock and for wb um and this is uh these are some comments that nick Khan made uh, about how w content is performing on peacock this was from the may 5th earnings call uh W's earnings call. In 2021, WrestleMania's first year on Peacock, we saw a 15% increase in viewership from 2020, which was the last WrestleMania to air in the U.S. and WWE Network. The this momentum. Is, this is Chris Gullo playing the role of Nick Khan. Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> we uh, also, um, <laughs> this momentum continued into 2022, where this past month at WrestleMania 38, we saw a 61% increase from 2021. We also doubled WWE viewership in total uh, on Peacock over the past WrestleMania weekend compared to the year prior. That's massive year-over-year growth. As you can see, we did not hit a ceiling on our first year on Peacock during WrestleMania weekend. Nearly one-third of all Peacock's accounts viewed WWE content. In fact, WrestleMania 38 was the second-most-watched live event in the history of Peacock behind only this year's Super Bowl. What this tells us is that we're reaching new fans on the service and growing Debbie's audience with the growth on Peacock alongside the existing robust partnerships and viewership on USA with Raw and SmackDown. As we all heard in Comcast earnings reports last week, Peacock increased its paid subs by 40% in Q1 alone. As Peacock continues to grow its user base and in turn, those users continue to sample WB content. We are confident these viewership numbers will only continue to grow. So, WWE content appears to be among the most popular content on Peacock. Um, as we've argued here before, WWE popularity seems to be stabilizing after many years of, of annual repeated decline. Um, web searches is up. Uh, TV ratings 
in some comparisons year over year are fairly stable, including SmackDown total viewership year over year and Q1 was up 1%. Uh, demo, not so much. But, uh, and, and we are comparing ratings in a time where they have the Thunderdome to a time now where they have live audiences back. Um, but attendances seem to be stable. Uh, YouTube is a funny comparison because of some of the, the windowing of the content and maybe some, some movement of content that they've had to do because of, um, because of Peacock. But I, I would say popularity in WWE is stable, more stable than it's been before. Uh, and I think in part because of the wider distribution, wider reach of WWE pay-per-views, premium live events uh, that's happening on Peacock, um, which they, they like to remind you of how big these audiences are that are watching these premium live events now, now that they're on Peacock. Um, so, yeah, I, I think there is a possibility if Comcast wants to own a wrestling company, which is, I think, the big question. There's possibly that that Vince could get a... Uh, and Vince would want a Dana White-like agreement that guarantees him leadership of the company. You can see why a parent would be open to that idea. They don't necessarily think that they can understand a wrestling company and, and lead it right off the bat. They want to entrust in Vince. Vince has so much credibility with this, these people for unfounded reasons, in my view. But they would, you know, they would trust Vince because Vince has had this 30-year track record of running this company with so much success that Vince, by God, must know exactly what he's doing, must be a great leader. And then, to be fair to Vince, to make his case, Vince has made a lot of good corporate strategy decisions in terms of making a big decision to turn away from the strategy that Barrios and Wilson were leading in up to early 2020 and to hire Nick Khan and to help WB in a, in a better position to monetize its content than ever. Um, that's the case. The influence that he has on the content uh, really limits the, the growth of this company. But anyway. If, uh, if what you're saying is a caveat of a sale, does that kind of eliminate anybody that really hasn't had a relationship with Vince to really know what he's capable of? Like, for example, Disney? I don't know if I buy that Disney wants to buy this company would be yeah. at a reasonable price. Um I don't know if Disney views W content as great content. Um, in, in ESPN's case, I you know there were reports that WB and ESPN Plus were negotiating before Nikon came to WB. Um, they ended up going with Peacock, and I think that maybe ruffled some feathers at, at, at ESPN for what that's worth. Um, I don't know. I tend to think that people know Vince well enough in the media business to know who he is and what they think he's capable of. But it is true that, you know, W content in the U S anyway, uh, has never, you know, appeared on, on a Disney platform, um, in, in any term sort of relationship. There's been these, you know, there's been some, some really piecemeal licensing of content during the pandemic to, uh, to ESPN. Remember there did some WrestleMania replays and things like that. Yep. Um, so they've probably dealt with W to some extent. I don't know if they've felt how directly they've dealt with Vince. Um, but there's that. Um, and there was for a while, it seemed like maybe they were even courting WWE because remember where there were all these sort of, um, talent appearances on, on ESPN, uh, in sort of the late 2010s. Um, but yeah, so I think that could happen. WWE being acquired by Comcast. The question is, would Comcast actually want to own this? And I can think of some reasons why Comcast would be unsure about that um do you want to own a wrestling company that is not the most 
highbrow piece of content? Um, do you want to worry about the leadership of this company? Do you want to worry about the potential scandals and the history of scandals that, that the company's had? Um, also, the independent contractor issue looming. I mean, it would be explored again if a major, major corporation purchased WWE. Like, you don't think somebody would bring up the fact that are we going to give these performers health insurance and benefits or have them actually be em- employees? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think as 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 to me, obviously unjustified as that is, you still got UFC doing pretty close to the same thing under Endeavor, and that hasn't led to great progress, right? Yeah. Um, so I I wouldn't be surprised if we ended up in a scenario, let's imagine, let's take it for granted that W would, what would be acquired by Comcast. I don't think that necessarily means there's all this scrutiny. I think it is still a liability and a risk, though, that you're carrying you know, some 200-plus talent uh, as, as independent contractors who are probably misclassified. Um, I don't know that it, that that leads to additional scrutiny on the issue, but it doesn't remove the fact that with as an independent company or or under a parent company that the, that it's sort of inevitable that this is going to happen that you're going to face additional scrutiny. Um, when that happens, though, I don't know. Um, but yeah. So, I guess my point is, I don't strongly believe that W is going to be acquired, but I do think it's a possibility. Whereas before, I was highly dismissive of that idea. Um, but still, I don't know that there's a big parent company that really wants to own WWE. It's clearly Comcast that would that would acquire it, to my, to my view. It could be others, but maybe it's Disney, but I would be surprised. Um, but I think it's still a, a, a really big, uncertain question about whether or not NBC Universal Comcast would want to own WWE because it's a little brow wrestling, um, because... There are some risks and liabilities with it, including history of scandal, including the IP employee issue, including it's a really weird business that I don't know if they're confident they want to oversee. Um, and there, there is, I think it's worth talking about. I don't know if they would view it that way, but I think it is worth talking about that. Look, Turner Broadcasting slash Time Warner through the late 80s and 90s uh, oversaw a wrestling company. And that wrestling company only lived for, you know, about 12, 15 years under that supervision. Um, Different world, different economy. No super high live rights fees like there are today. Maybe even with that dysfunction, WCW would still be alive today if those were the the economics that they had to deal with. Um, So Stephanie's gone for now. And, you know, I, I would speculate that maybe, you know, like, who knows, that maybe... I could see a scenario, and it's not anything that I know for for fact, but I could see a scenario in which management, including Vince, said, all right, maybe we could sell this this company and make a huge deal. I could see Nick Khan, you know, being excited about adding to his resume, being able to make a a big M&A deal. Wouldn't wouldn't that be great? And Vince deciding, well, maybe it's the best thing. Sort of, you know, think about those comments that he made to Pat McAfee, you know, whether it's with a family member or without a family member, you want to do what's best for the business and um, making maybe making a big deal is the best thing for the business in his view. Um, and maybe that's, you know, that, that's opposite to the interests probably of, of Stephanie, 
who wants it to be a family business and wants to, if she wants to continue to rise to a higher leadership position in this company that she's worked at all of her adult life. Um, W not being a family business is not, not in her interest. So I could see a scenario in which management has decided they're, they're going to very much put M&A on the table and Stephanie sort of bowing out. And maybe family has a lot to do with this. Maybe Paul of X health issues have a lot to do with it, but, um, Maybe she's bowing out and not participating uh, in in managing this company for now, while M and A is on the table. Um, and and uh, they did dismiss uh, Claudine Lillian, who was who was uh, one of the executives working under Stephanie, who may have been a Stephanie hire. So maybe there's something that that, that happened there. Uh, so there's that. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. All right, uh, we're going to uh, move on here. But before we do, remember, if you guys have Super Chats, please uh, hit the little dollar sign with your question, the amount that you find uh, suitable, and ask us a question. Uh, If it's on that topic we're talking at the moment, we'll answer it in that period. If not, we will answer it at the end of the show. All questions will be answered if you Super Chat them. Okay. Um, AW Pay-Per-View Buys. Did you watch the AW Pay-Per-View Double or Nothing? 2021, 0.22. I, I actually did not. This is probably the first I haven't watched in a while. Yeah. Wow. I think yes. you're a fake AEW fan, Cole. I'm a wrestling fan of the, the you know, the pageantry and, and entertainment and all that. I bet uh, you, you, you missed Double or Nothing, but I bet, I bet you didn't miss an episode of Bruce Pritchard podcast, right? As I said, I haven't regularly listened to the Bruce Richard podcast in a long time. Anyway, uh, was this Reuters or was it an AP article? Um, it was a wire service article this past week that came out uh, mentioning – it has quotes from Tony Khan. So maybe they got this from Tony Khan. Uh, 155,000 pay-per-view buys is an early estimate. I'm told this is a good estimate, 155,000 buys for Double or Nothing 2022. Um, Revolution did about 165,000. Uh, I, I understand those buys haven't even been finalized yet. That's from March 6, 2022. 165 for Revolution. So double or nothing appears to have come in below Revolution. Um, so uh, I, I've I, I bought the pay per view twice. Um, still working on getting a refund there uh, for my $100 pay per view purchase. Uh, with with the issues from Bleacher Report, um, but the total revenue that this event generated would end up being the second highest grossing. Now we're going to talk about grossing, which is an ambiguous term, but the the second highest grossing uh, pay per view, just short of, of course, All Out, which is the leader uh, for pay per view buys. Um, this event, according to Tony Khan, did a $1.1 million gate. So if we average that, so what I did was I took paid attendance. Uh, my estimate for paid attendance is basically knocking off 
uh, either five or ten percent off of the WrestleTix number. We end up with over twelve thousand paid in that estimate scenario. If we divide that by one point one million dollars, we get an average ticket price of eighty-eight dollars. Um, assume fifteen dollars per head for merchandise. And uh, assume the usual assumptions that people can see on the screen here for pay-per-view, and we end up with net revenue to AEW of $4.1 million, 4.1 million total gross, $7.6 million, a lot of that taken up by pay-per-view carriers. Um, so that would put it at $4.1 million based on my prior estimates of prior AEW pay-per-views. Again, that's, that's number two behind the $4.5 million. 4.5 million for all out 2021. Um, 155,000 buys does put double or nothing 2022 over double or nothing 2021, which is consistent with what Tony said at, at the media scrum. Um, that streak in all likelihood is going to end in September when all out 2022 happens. I can't see it beating the all out of, of 2021 with 205,000 buys. Uh, that's a, uh, that's a special peak moment with the first match of CM Punk in seven years. Uh, I, I would be surprised, very surprised, if if AEW was able to put together something that beat that number. Um, so there's that. Uh, moving on. All right. So yeah, Anything we will move on. Yeah. Oh, um, nothing really add on that. Uh, as far as just, I mean, they're growing, but yeah, I mean, I can't think of anything that is obtainable for them to get to beat 205,000 buys in September. Like I can't even think of a talent acquisition or a match or anything like I'm sure they'll do well. It's traditionally, it's always their best, but every year, but probably they'll probably end up in 175 range for all out. If I were to we'll do a, a guess, but all right. Yeah. And forbidden we'll door, forbidden door coming up. Yes. Um, Maybe. Yeah, well, what's we don't the, have any previous data to base what what that's going to be. But it's it's an all out look. Like this, I, I have questions about like to what extent is this truly a joint business venture? Clearly, it's a joint talent venture between AEW and, and New Japan. Uh, but I think for all other purposes, this appears to be an AEW promoted event. Um, so what is what is the base? What is the expectation for pay per view? Hmm. Um, I would say a hundred thousand. Yeah, it can't go less than 100, but I'm hoping I'm I'm not I'm sure they're hoping, I'm sorry, that they're going to get like at least 130. We'll see. There's no matches other than Moxley versus Wait, did we know? Who who won? Look up who won between Tanahashi and Yes, uh, Tana, Tana, Tanahashi. Tanahashi. Hiroshi yes. Tanahashi defeated Hiroki yeah. Goto. So we're going to see um Hiroshi Tanahashi versus um John Moxley for the interim AEW championship and um, Jay White won the IWGP championship. So that changes the speculation that it was going to be Okada and hangman. It will probably be hangman and Jay White. Well, but that that's been gone back and forth about in dispute. Yeah. So I, I don't. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, hell in the cell happened. Did you watch hell in the cell? I did not. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm uh, slacking on these premium live events here. Um, Roman. I Reigns. did watch the Cody match though because people said to watch it. Did you watch the Roman Reigns match? Um, there wasn't. Well, oh, no, there was not a Roman Reigns match. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking like oh. that six man tag was the pay per view before. Yeah. Did Did you watch the Ronda Rousey match? Uh, there was not a Ronda Rousey match. Oh, they're on the post. They were on the poster. Then there's an updated poster 
with Cody. Still has Ronda Rousey on it. There's still Ronda Rousey <laughs> and John here. There was uh, no 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 Ronda Rousey match. Um, but anyway, they did sell out the Rosemont Horizon, the the car insurance arena that I'll call the Rosemont Horizon. Um, so that was you know let's see if um. What do you think the average ticket? Let's say the average ticket price was eighty-eight, the same as the average ticket price for Double or Nothing. Let's assume that, and let's say you know twelve thousand of that is paid. You know that's that's probably over a million dollar gate there as well. Uh, so there's that. Um, Interesting though that uh, AEW is going to outdraw them in in the United Center uh, for Forbidden Door or for the if the sales are to believe you know sold out so. They're they are outdrawing uh, WWE well, at least in, in Chicago. Yeah, bigger venue, bigger venue. Um, I did a quick uh, uh, look at cage match ratings to sort of think about this as like a Rotten Tomatoes review of of tentpole events. I don't know what, what what's the all encompassing term anymore. Tentpole events, premium live events, pay per view. These W events are still on pay per view. Um, in any case, uh, the uh, double or nothing averaged a rating of 7.7 which puts it on the lower end of, of aw pay-per-views um most of them are are in the eights uh w events have been doing okay lately there have been some like elimination chamber and royal rumble that did below a three and i believe you have one of one of the saudi events the last saudi event uh pre-pandemic doing sub one 0.7 rating for that uh, last Saudi event before the pandemic. Um, but we see, uh, you know, some very, some, uh, distribution here from anywhere between, you know, the, the high fours, mid fours to, uh, to the sevens and eights. But some of these, pa- these premium live events have been doing okay, uh, for WWE comparable with what, uh, comparable with, with the reception for double or nothing, I would say. Uh, so in terms of the quality of the content, um, some of these WWE events, according to the cage match inmates, on the level of some of the AEW events. So it sort of challenges to some degree. I mean, certainly the uh, the AEW events are, for the most part, across these three years that we're looking at. For the most part, the AEW events are high, more highly rated than the WWE events, and certainly the, the WWE events are more numerous. They're doing an event almost every month. AW is doing an event only quarterly. You'd imagine if if well, if AEW had to run an event every every month, maybe they would be putting on some lower quality events too. Maybe they would be watering down the quality of their peak content. Um, but uh, it, it somewhat challenges a notion that maybe I overpresent that AW is far superior content than. WWE, at least in these sort of peak, these peak events, uh, so something to keep in mind as, as um, I don't want to get into a, a creative analysis of, of AEW this week or ever, but um, you know, as I, a lot of people are, I think, are starting to rightfully question some of the things that we're seeing uh, in, in, in AEW's creative direction, including uh, all of these belts, the all, the all. Atlantic title. Um, I'm hoping that you can capture yeah. that for us here and bring it home, Chris Cole. I don't think I'm allowed in the tournament, unfortunately. It's unfortunate. Um, 
and and I think maybe this this next slide here speaks to to that somewhat. The the that AEW has all of these wrestlers, and um, I don't know that they're getting the most out of out of their their talent pool. What I did was I went into cage match and I counted up the match spots. So think of this like a spot on the card, right? Um, I went through the last 365 days of when I did this. So June 11th, 2021 to June 8th, 2022. So it's about the prior year, the trailing 365 days. Um, and I found, you know, over 2000 match spots for WWE. This is main roster only. I didn't consider NXT here, uh, because I wanted to make sort of a like to like comparison between main roster WWE and, 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 all of AEW, and I didn't include any of the dark stuff in here for AEW. So anyway, we went up, went up with over two thousand match spots for WWE, and we end up with over fifteen hundred match spots for AEW, which makes sense, right? Because you've got monthly pay per views for WWE, and you've got three hour Raw, two hour SmackDown versus two hour Dynamite, one hour Rampage. There's just a lot more content in WWE's case, so of course you have more match spots. Um, so the number of wrestlers that each company has needed or used to fill all those match spots comes to, in AEW's case, to fill their fewer match spots than at WWE. They used 181 wrestlers to fill those match spots. WWE used 134 wrestlers to fill their 2,000, you know, 2,139 match spots. So um, not that, that, that WWE's example is the perfect example there's no, you know no no necessary reason to think so uh but i if nothing else it tells us that AEW is using a greater diversity of wrestlers uh across their content um but i i you know we don't know exactly how many wrestlers AEW has under contract um but i think it's pretty safe to assume that AEW has fewer wrestlers under contract than WWE does. Um, and I think WWE, uh, you know, it just sort of speaks to the, the differences in the way that WWE presents their content, especially the main roster content, by focusing on fewer wrestlers uh, at a time. And I think we even found that uh, this past week when we were doing our um, Who's a Draw podcast, that was, we, yeah. found, we, we found that, you know, it, it seems to be when we were looking at quarter hours, let's say, even though WWE has three hours of Raw, two hours of SmackDown, which is five hours compared to AEW's three hours, WWE has two more core hours of content every week. They seem to be focusing on a smaller number of wrestlers over that greater amount of content. They're sliding or something happening on the mic stand, Colo. It, it was me sliding. I was trying to grab my who's to draw papers, but then you. Uh, okay. to see because I because when we look at it like AEW, we, we we saw it from like April to May, different names on top, the shuffling of the talent, which you don't really see a lot of that with WWE. Like, you'll go a few months, but a lot of the similar talent being in the top five or six of in appearances, as far as you know, the quarter hours and the YouTube data and all that. So, uh, much more shuffling, like the top draw of AEW changes by the month, it almost yeah. seems like. And, uh, and and what about this? Even though, yes, AAW is using more wrestlers uh, per spot. You know, they're, they're what, what is this? Matches per wrestler for AAW over the last year. They got 8.4 matches per wrestler to W's 16 
matches per wrestler. That's about twice twice as much, right? But uh, you know, they so WWE has used 138 men to WWE's 89 men, but still AEW has only used 43 women to WWE's 45 women. So uh, e- even though WWE's using so many more wrestlers, that they're using more wrestlers than WWE is, despite having less content to cover, they're still using fewer women. <laughs> um, which uh, I'll let you unpack that one, Gull. Uh, I mean, WWE. Well, well, to to be fair, WWE is probably you know has put an emphasis on women's wrestling and being a big part of the show before AEW was even created. Uh, you know, uh, the women's revolution. Uh, and all that, uh, and they are a fixture of the show. When WWE puts out their top draws, they mention names like yeah, they mention Roman Reigns and now Cody Rhodes, but they mention Charlotte, Becky Lynch, um, Ronda Rousey. At, at one point, Sasha Banks, <laughs> Ronda Rousey. Yeah, like yeah, Bianca like, Belair. Yeah, they would mention those names, and you don't AW. I think obviously. Tony is trying to grow a woman's division, but other than Britt Baker, is anybody else really put on a pedestal with the top tier male talent when it comes to promotional vehicles? Um, Jade Cargill. Um, <laughs> yeah. So s- over the time. Yes. I'll say this. Um, the there's, there's clearly a disparity in wrestling generally for talent development. And, um, I think in, in indie wrestling, which is where where I have some some direct experience, right? Um, I, I don't, I don't want to get into an intergender wrestling discussion here, but I will say this: that in, in in indie wrestling, where there is intergender wrestling, I think that's a good thing for inter for independent wrestling and for for wrestlers, and particularly for for female wrestlers. I don't know that all female wrestlers would agree with that, but I think it's it's good because it allows women who are wrestlers to get experience. Uh, from a greater variety of wrestlers and to learn and to become better wrestlers rather than to be limited to only wrestling uh, women. Um, you know, going back to like Fabulous Moolah you know, and, and even up to as present as uh, the, the not that distant future of WWE where women were told to wrestle in a, in a more limited way and that they had to wrestle a certain way and they couldn't do too much because that's not how women wrestle. Um, so I don't think women have always had the same opportunity to develop as wrestlers and probably still don't. Um, so because of things like that, there's been less of, uh, there's been less efficient development of female talent in wrestling in the U S generally, I would say, um, Japan seems to be different because Japan has had this sort of longer history and you could say a segregated history of, of women's wrestling. Uh, but definitely a longer history and that it's not been as, as, as limited by the sort of the moolah effect. Uh, they've had their own dojos and their own sort of separate evolution of, of, uh, of, of an in-ring style uh, going, going back to uh, probably whenever All Japan Women started, um, which is before I think even All Japan or New Japan. Um, but that's happening. And, but I, I would think, I think also you can, raise legitimate criticism against against AEW for passing up at least early on on, on recruiting of, of women that you could argue that maybe they should have signed that they had the opportunity to to, to sign. Um, the AEW's women's wrestling division has improved in the last year or two. Um, 
So it's gotten better, but it's still clearly well behind what WWE's uh, women's talent roster is. Um, and I think that's probably reflective of... Um, you say a lot of things about, about Vince McMahon uh, in terms of how he's thought of and treated women on the roster over the years. Um, but, you know, WWE seems far more invested in promoting women wrestlers than, than I think Tony has uh, over the last three years. Um, not that WWE doesn't still have uh, their problems with, with how they present women and the degree to which uh, they're, they're choosing who to push. But anyway, there's more of the same information. Um, so, Clash of the Castle on September 3rd. 2022 in Cardiff. Um, that is at a stadium. Uh, wouldn't be surprised if we came to, to find out. I wonder if this is the case. That is this uh, an event that WWE is going to directly benefit from the ticket sales of, or is this going to be an event like um, think about the the Australia event that they ran in Melbourne back in 2018, right? Um, I wonder if this is a bot show in terms of they're getting sort of paid up front for it. Maybe that's something that we'll learn in, in future earnings reports because that, that Melbourne show ended up in the other line of revenue rather than in the international ticket sales revenue. So maybe that's something we'll be able to confirm or discredit. In that was the Superstar Showdown, right, or something I, like that? I believe they called that Super Showdown. A, super, then, a name that they use also for a Saudi Arabia event, yeah. Right, right. So that's something that we would see. So September 3rd is within Q3. So that's something we, we would not see until, like, Halloween time. Um, so we'll see what happens there. Won't be surprised to find out. Um, the New York Times had a report this past week. New executive, new friend of David Zasloff in the house. Yeah, uh, this is from June 9th here. Uh, Warner Brothers Discovery, the media giant created by the fusion of the owners of HBO and 90 Day Fiance, said Thursday that it had picked an executive to manage its billions of dollars of sports rights, one of the cornerstones of the company. The company now has the rights to games from the National Basketball Association to the National Hockey League. The executive, Luis Silberwasser, I hope I pronounced that correctly, will be responsible for ushering the company's sports programming, which includes inside the NBA, the NCAA March Madness men's basketball tournament, and playoff baseball, further into the streaming era. Mr. Silberwasser has been one of the most senior executives at Univision, which closed a $4.8 billion deal with the Mexican media giant Televisa this year to create a Spanish-language media Colossus. Uh, he is the president of Televisa Univazan, uh, Univision and Inc. U.S. Networks Group, reporting to Wade Davis, Univision's chief executive. Uh, one prominent example is the NBA, the Warner Brothers Discovery, pays an average of about $1.2 billion per year for rights to show NBA games nationally, part of a nine-year agreement signed in 2014. That agreement is up after the 24-25 season, and the NBA is expecting to free expecting its fee to sharply increase during the next round of negotiations, given the league's rising global popularity, a person familiar with the agreement said. There is little doubt 
that Warner Brothers Discovery will have to pay more to continue showing the NBA, which is a top draw for its cable channel, TNT, and sports website, Bleacher Report. The NFL nearly doubled its media revenue from the rights agreement signed last year, and the NHL, the Southeastern Conference, and other sports leagues have seen huge increases in recently completed deals. Mr. Silva Wasser will be responsible for managing Warner Brothers Discovery, U.S. sports portfolio, and setting the company's global sports strategy. The company's international sports portfolio, including the Olympics, will be managed by Andrew Grigo, uh, the president and managing director of WBD Sports Europe, Lenny Daniels, the president of Turner Sports, and Patrick Crum, the president of Regional Sports Networks, will report to Mr. Silva Wasser. Yes. So I believe this is someone who worked with uh, David Zaslav at... Um who's formerly with Discovery. Um, so someone who could have a lot of influence on AEW's next TV negotiation. Um, interesting to note, too, here. Uh, the NBA is expecting its fee to sharply increase during the next round of negotiations, given the league's rising global popularity. A person familiar with the agreement said, now NBA is the number two sports property in all of U.S. television, so not that surprising that those further up on that chain are going to continue to benefit. But um, some reassurance, at least, that that sports rights continue to grow in value and the NBA is expecting an increase. Um, so there's that. Not, not much to, to, to add to that other than here, here's, here's some of the new, new players here and we know that Brett Weitz is out um, of, of – uh, managing TBS, TNT, and True TV. And uh, here's somebody who's going to oversee at least the NBA agreement. Uh, he'll have a lot to say about uh, the NHL and, and, and things like that, and maybe AEW. So um, <clears throat> here are three titles. Uh, I, I, was, I did put this slide in before uh, W announced that Roan Reigns is going to uh, defend uh, the title against Matt Riddle on, uh, excuse me, Riddle on, uh, on Friday on SmackDown. I was going to say that uh, the most valuable U.S. titles are on inactive wrestlers um, in the form of CM Punk and Roman Reigns. Um, did you know that the cover letter for the annual report 2021 came out this week? Did you know that? I, I, I did not know that, uh, uh, but I was then you sent me the slides and uh, I, was, I didn't really know about a lot of these. It's very interesting. I feel like we talked about this last year, um, yeah, but might be. so we can, we can go through, you know, it's, it's a big deal to be on the cover of the video game. Sure. It's a big deal deal to be a W uh, intercontinental champion and, and, and U.S. champion, I guess. But here's, here's, here's like, it's like being on, on the cover of a uh, sports illustrator or time magazine or something. Um, but seriously, I, th- I think this does tell you something about who are the talent that they really value. Uh, just like we, we talked about how these sort of um, you know counterintuitive uh, representations of, of valued talent in terms of who was at the upfronts, right? Uh, who's at the upfronts this year for WWE? Roman Reigns, Charlotte, Miz, Bianca Belair. Uh, who's on the cover of this report? To be clear, we had the annual report um, in February, I think. But then some months later, after the annual shareholders meeting happens, which is in like April, they put out, and it might be released to shareholders at, at that time, but it ends up on the corporate website some months later. Anyway, I, I noticed it for the first time. So I don't know if this got put up this week or what, because I've, I've been checking and I hadn't seen it up to this point. But anyway, here, here are talent that they 
feel are important enough to, to show to their shareholders. Um, and we can just quickly run through the history of this, going back to 2004, where you got Jericho, Cena, and, uh, and, and Rey Mysterio on the cover in 2004. Uh, Triple H in 2005. And then 2006, everyone's favorite mayor and defender of the Second Amendment, Kane Jacobs. Um, and then Rey Mysterio in 2000, was this six? No, seven. 2007, it's Rey Mysterio. Uh, Jeff Hardy in 2008. I'm getting this year right, right? I think so. Uh, and then in 2009, strength in numbers. Not, not even Dobby is, is immune to, to the puns. Um, I should probably put this in a notebook or something for puns for, uh, for WrestleMania, WrestleNomics headlines. Um, strength in numbers where we have John Cena FUing. Was it called an FU at the time? Or was it an attitude adjustment already by 2009? Oh, it was an attitude adjustment by 09, 100%. That was the beginning of the PG era, so... Oh, wait, really? So John Cena hoisting the big show and edge on his shoulders at WrestleMania that, that prior year. Uh, and then The Miz already in, t- in 2010 uh, making the cover of the annual report. Sheamus in 2011 in his robe and crown with the caption, content is king. And then John Cena in 2012 in his first rock year uh, with his uh, never give up uh, Susan G. Komen attire. And then... No, no wrestlers on the cover of the 2013 image, but there is a second page with Rock and and Cena at WrestleMania, um, and then in 2014, the first year of the network, again, no wrestlers, just the belt, which is now a logo, uh, and then it's not until the third page where we see Roman Reigns holding an iPhone uh, uh, with the the W Network. Uh, image on it um the new day in 2015 oh dear and then charlotte in 2016 oscar in 2017 a slew of wrestlers in 2018 including roman reigns at the front ronda rousey becky lynch braun Strowman, uh alexa bliss bobby lashley seth rollins charlotte naomi oscar and Rey mysterio uh roman reigns again in 2019 in 2020 Charlotte Flair, and then this year, for the first time, Becky Lynch. Uh, so only a few who have been on here more than once, right? Which would be Charlotte, Roman Reigns, uh, John Cena, I would say. But Becky Lynch making the cover uh, in our letter to shareholders. Um, and uh, the, the, the letter highlighted a number of things. I mean, a, a Twitter thread about it, but um, we got the NIL. We should be, should be getting a, a new NIL uh, announcement, recruiting class. This month was, I believe, what W has said in the past. In June, they'll be announcing a new class. Um, continuing to put uh, Gable Stevenson out here as the face face of this thing. Uh, maybe this was put together before. Uh, there was the, there were the reports that Gable Stevenson's looking at uh, using his his final year of eligibility at Minnesota University, uh, but that's. That's uh, that's what the reports are. Um, so we'll see. Will Gabe, Gable Stevenson ever have a match in WWE? Yeah, that's well, um, you know Chad Gable still called Chad Gable. So yeah, and I don't think he's cutting promos in Gable Stevenson right now. So yeah, but he, he did suplex Chad Gable at um, yeah. at WrestleMania, and uh, yeah. So there's that. I think that's all we have. Unless you unless you have any. Um, just kind of want to bring up secret topics. Uh, bring up a topic that maybe we'll expand on further. Um, I don't know. We haven't really talked much about it because this isn't a sports cast, but it's media. But the live golf, uh, and 
it's interesting because here's the you know the Saudi back to live golf they've they've have signed a lot of prominent golfers away from the PGA Tour. Uh, right. Mostly because PGA Tour doesn't really have a lot of guaranteed money, obviously. You enter the tournament, you hope to get and all that. Uh, but they got a TV rights deal this week, and in, it was with DAZN and not with the network because of maybe the ties that the PGA Tour the has with other networks. That. Yeah, yeah. yeah I so that. Um, I just uh, f- found that interesting, though, uh, because they do have a lot of prominent names and with that. I know they don't want to touch it, but a lot of the biggest names in golf are going there now. Yeah, if, if if that league does well for several years, maybe they'll make a, a real yeah. TV deal. Um, yeah, um, yeah. I, I think uh, you know. I, I think we talked about this before, but it's it's kind of funny to think about this, this deal with WWE and Saudi Arabia started in 2018 for the cost that it's costing the Saudi government, which is over a hundred million dollars a year. Um, it's probably along the lines of what the Khan family is spending on AEW per year. They could have, you know, the Saudi government, maybe they could have just started their own wrestling company. They don't need, they don't need to, to license uh, WWE. And, but, and that's kind of what I was hoping you would go with this. <laughs> like, I mean, it's, but then again, what, what, the, what the Saudi government probably wants out of that is a, is a, is a branding event is a public relations event to show the, and, and if they're doing that on their own, and I'm being facetious here that the Saudi government would start their own major wrestling company, but what they, what they want is, American entertainment, a global broadcast, broadcast on Peacock, uh, and and other platforms around the world to show, hey, look, if you're hearing bad things about Saudi Arabia, you're not seeing them here. Look, looks like a normal event. And when people reply to me on Twitter or whatever, say in response to, why are you being so critical about the, why, why, why are you talking about, this doesn't look like this is this bad place. These events seem fine. That's exactly the, the response that the regime of Mohammed and Solomon wants you to have is that, you know, this looks like a normal country. So I don't know what, what people are getting all upset about the murder of Jamal Khashoggi for, um, uh, before we go further. Yeah. I was just uh, going to hit that. I would, yeah. I would like to digress. Uh, Tim B <laughs> adds a super chat, which we, we, we thank you, Tim B. He says, glad to see Gullah back. I was concerned after his merch was pulled from the WrestleNomics store. Glad Brandon, Brandon smartened up and paid the man. Well, as Vince McMahon said in 2011, purportedly, to uh, one CM Punk, you got me over a barrel, a barrel here. And, uh, you know, he basically Jeff Jarrett me uh, with the Intercontinental title and uh, held me up uh, at the beginning of the show, actually. You know, we were getting ready to go, and he's like, I'm not going on the air unless you pay up. So uh, basically extorted me, and I had no choice. Hey, it's just business. It's nothing personal. Mm-hmm. You know, it's what's best for business. Yeah, whether it's with a family member or not a family member. <laughs> so. But, yeah, I think that's kind of all uh, I have for this week as far as stories, wherever that kind of wanted to touch on. And uh-huh. Okay. Um, where's our slides? There they are. Uh, thumbs up, like, share, and subscribe on YouTube or on your uh, podcast app. Thanks to everybody for listening and supporting WrestleNomics. We did a, a Who's a Draw uh, podcast this past um, Wednesday, so that is out for subscribers now. Uh, can I confirm that you're going to join me again this week to do the, the company popularity update? Yeah, let's do it. What company is a draw? <laughs> 
Well, we're going to monitor sort of things along the lines of, of what we talked about earlier in terms of the stabilization of W's popularity and, and sort of look at, all right, the, the month of May has ended. So we have data uh, from Google Trends, from TV ratings, from ticket sales, and look at what's now in ticket sales. We're getting close to having year-over-year comparisons. We will in July, and certainly by August, we will have year-over-year comparisons that are that are meaningful or getting towards meaningful. I know there, there'll be a, a pent up demand month in July, 2021 to compare against, but, um, but in TV ratings and in ticket sales and in Google web search and in YouTube data, we will have some year over year comparisons to look at companies and not, not, not just WE and AEW, but, um, other companies as well. New Japan impact, perhaps other companies, uh, those will be slides that I make on Tuesday. We're going to do that on Wednesday. What do you think? Yeah, we'll do it Wednesday. Okay, uh, we'll run head to head with uh, with Dynamite again. Yeah, a little bit. We only bleed into the first segment. Yeah, but anyway, that that'll be. Uh, I, I don't know if I'm. Maybe we'll release this first one uh, public, uh, like we did for Who's a Draw, but uh, the audio will be available afterwards for subscribers only, and the and the YouTube the video will of course be be out there afterwards. You don't have to watch it live. Um, so that's all. Subscribe yep. on Patreon for that if you want to at patreon.com slash You also get access to the WrestleNomics viewership spreadsheet and my daily TV ratings updates. Well, a few exciting things uh, on this front. Uh, we had our uh, newest episode, Rediscovering News, come out last week. Uh, part four of Burr Prentice, and it's going to be five parts. Very interesting uh, uh, individual, but we discuss how he was able to basically have a developmental deal with WWE and WCW at the same time he was um, or around like the same time period uh, using talent for both promotions. And then uh, his kind of role in the beginning of TNA and how that affected him as a wrestling promoter and much more. It's a lot of good fun tidbits, get a lot of good feedback. So if you want to know about Burt Prentice, who it was one of the most interesting individuals to promote independent wrestling, uh, we uh, go into full detail with that. That's RTI pod on uh, Instagram and Twitter and rediscovering these on Facebook myself, Chris Gullo, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. And you can actually see me this Saturday night for empire state wrestling, June 18th. If you're in the Western New York area, it's going to be at the frontier fire hall. And that's 6 P 6 PM bell time. We got uh, Kevin Blackwood versus Jay Freddie in the main event. So, yes. And I, I, th- I think I am producing that show. Yeah. Um, we have some last minute. Oh, wow. Last minute. We First of all, we have a super sticker from Joseph Carino. Thank you for that. The $5 super sticker. And then we have uh, one easy attack from Chris Ely, uh, who has an article, by the way, up yes. on WrestleNomics.com about uh, sort of these power plays uh, that talent is, is making between their companies, both in the form of MJF and AEW and the duo of Sasha Banks and Naomi in WWE. You can read that right now for free. Anybody can on WrestleNomics.com. Um, but uh, Chris asks, are AEW ratings on an upward trajectory in 2022 or not? Um, so I'll, I'll try to answer that quickly. If I, uh, if I look at um, AEW ratings and look at, uh, let's see, what's the best way to, to think about this? I guess in in year to date, the demo is probably on a slightly negative slope. Uh, total viewership is on a very slightly negative slope. So very slightly going down over, over time. Maybe there's some seasonality to that. If we look at the year over year comparisons uh, for the past three months for Dynamite, 
Um, total viewership in April was down 4% year over year compared to the April of the prior year. May, so we're looking at post-Wednesday Night War time. I, I can probably, let me share my screen real quick here. I think we can do this. Um, if I go to screen share and go to this and share the screen, boom. And if I make this real big, right? So we have here now on the screen for people watching on YouTube. Um, this is in, in the blue heading. Total viewership year over year. Um, and this shows, again, April. Again, remember, the Wednesday Night War ended in the middle of April. I believe April 13th. NXT moves to Tuesday. So uh, we're looking at April, down 4% in total viewership. May, now a full month of, of post-Wednesday Night War time, down 6% in total viewership which Tony Khan doesn't care about. Uh, well, he, I don't, he's, he cares about the demo more, certainly. Uh, June, which we have just how many Wednesdays have happened in June so far? Two Wednesdays have happened in June, up 8% in June. Um, now, remember, I think in May 2021, that's when the playoffs, the NBA playoffs started to happen, if I'm not wrong. Uh, demo, though, demo in April a partial post-Wednesday Night War time, up 2%. The demo looks better, long story short, for, for AEW. Um, May, down 1%. June, up 6%. Again, just two episodes into June. Um, and then something else I want to... We can... This comes to mind quickly here. Uh, if I look at the median age, which we'll have to make this more zoomed out. If you look at the median age, let's go to 25% zoom. Um, something that stood out to me, I was just, just, uh, you know, looking at stuff, uh, the other day, if you look at this median age chart, um, everybody's getting older except for two programs. And what we have here on the screen is Dynamite, Rampage, even Impact, New Japan in their short timeline of history that we do have now, um, NXT, Raw and SmackDown, right? And... What we see is most everybody's getting older, right? Even Rampage is getting older, and Rampage had that strong start in the summer, and they've gotten older since then, as the younger viewers have probably felt more less urgency, felt less urgency to watch Rampage, and Rampage viewership has declined uh, from not just the CM Punk episode, which was enormous, but in, you know, in general, from those first couple months of Rampage, viewership is down somewhat from that time. But anyway, Rampage getting older, uh, New Japan getting older, NXT getting older. Yes, NXT. And uh, SmackDown slightly getting older over this time. What we're looking at here is the pra the past 12 months, right? Past year. Uh, who's getting younger, though? A slightly negative slope in median age for Raw. Um, what does that mean? I think it means the, you know, the, the demo is probably holding up. Um, and Dynamite, pretty flat, pretty flat uh, slope here. I'm not sure what the what the slope is there, but something close to a zero slope for, for dynamite, which I guess would just, just, I think speaks to the, the stabilization of those two programs and, and for, and SmackDown too, we're really seeing, you know, sort of these, these three most important shows in wrestling, um, holding up. All right. If we, uh, I know Chris didn't, didn't ask about raw SmackDown, but, um, you know, in, in total viewership, SmackDown is, uh, is, Basically flat. In April, 1%. In May, up 1%. In June, so far, where we've had 
let's see. We have one rating, one final rating so far for SmackDown. Down 1%. The demo is more precipitous, though. Uh, and, uh, I don't know. Raw doesn't doesn't look as favorable here, either. Um, but there's that. Um, and, and we're looking at, in that, in that chart, more than just the last three months here. We're looking at the last 12 months. And that's including basically all of the, the post-return um, to touring time. So it, I guess a, a, a narrative that I would apply to this is that since the return to touring, there's been a benefit to, to Raw, to SmackDown, and to AEW. And the, the AEW timing also coincides with the addition of CM Punk, the addition of Brian Danielson, uh, perhaps the addition of other talent as well, including Adam Cole. Um, so there's that. Anything else? All right. No, uh, I mean, it kind of showed it with the data and all that uh, as far as the EW ratings. But yeah, I think I think that will do it this week unless we get another late last minute super chat. Yeah, we've been seeing too. Just a, I don't know, let's tangent to this. The this non news cable originals daily top fifty that I follow here, where we're in May, which included a lot of really strong NBA ratings. I guess is probably the biggest thing uh, uh, contributing to that. Where um, it was up six percent. In May, up 3% in total viewership in April. And we're seeing, uh, so far in June, a much deeper decline, which is more along the lines of what this has usually been uh, in the last year or so. Um, Chris Ely is having a conversation with us through through Super Chats. Chris Ely says, would it be better for Warner's for Warner's to move AEW to another channel on its regular time during the playoffs like True TV or is changing the time and day on the same channel more viable? Um, we did see during the Olympics, right? Raw and, Raw and NXT moved to sci-fi. Um, I think when... I would, I would guess that the calculus happening there is we don't want to train people to, to go look at a different channel, especially a different channel that's going to have lesser reach and lesser profile. Um, there was one instance, right, where before Rampage debuted, one of the, the Dynamite preemptions uh, was going to be on True TV, and I think it did, and did end up on True TV, I think in a simulcast, um, maybe one of the 10 p.m. airings of Dynamite in the in the original maybe uh, NBA playoffs preemptions. But I, I think their calculus is keep it on that channel so at least they're not having to, I don't know, I guess you could put it on True TV at at 10. But maybe the, the notion is that you're avoiding the playoff competition that you're going against that way too. Um, and in, in, in some cases, uh, you're getting a, an NBA lead-in. I guess that, that was the case in the uh, the college basketball situation where they were on at like 11, but it was one of their lowest ratings of all time. So I don't know how much that was a benefit. I imagine what's playing into it partly is you want to keep people in a habit of watching on that same network. And maybe that putting watching on that same network at a different time is better than watching on a different network at the usual time slot. Um, Nonetheless, I think being preempted does hurt rampage quite a bit. Um, being preempted as often as it's preempted. Um, and I think what happens is every time they go through a season of this where they're preempted, you're breaking people out of the habit of watching every week at 10 o'clock on TNT. 
and it's and and once that season is over, and now you're back. Oh, you're you're back out of the preemption zone. Um, you lose some people out of that habit. Not not one hundred percent of the of the people who habitually watch go back to habitually watching. So I think that's hurting AEW. Um, God, I love they they love their TV partners, but that is hurting them. And I and I think this is one of the reasons why I think it's there's a good argument for um, keep Dynamite on linear TV. Where the the reach is going to be the largest, the widest on, let's say, TBS, and sell Rampage perhaps to a streaming player, where you get a different nature of reach uh, by by putting that that program on a streaming platform, and then you're not as prone to preemption and disruption uh, with your audience. So there's that. Okay, now I think we're done. All right. All right, see so that warp of another uh, chock full of news week here of WrestleNomics. Yeah. Okay. Th- thanks everybody for the last minute super chats, and thanks uh, to everybody for for listening and supporting WrestleNomics. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn five dollars into one hundred and fifty dollars instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code Champion One Hundred and Fifty. Then. Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.